Uh, so we're kind of post-exile here. Um, he's somewhat similar to the time frame of Jeremiah, but just a little bit after. Um, so he's speaking about the same types of things, but um, and, and he is speaking about the restoration of the people, the new covenant, but he's going to have kind of a, a little bit different emphasis. So, um, okay, so that's uh, Ezekiel, uh, the prophet. Let's jump into the text here. Ezekiel 1 through 7. Uh, While a man named Ezekiel is among the exiles in Babylon, visions of God, that's the blank there, visions of God appear to him. So he begins his ministry, he says he's um, among the exiles in Babylon. He actually begins his ministry around 590, somewhere around there, Um, but he's in exile here um, because, you know, this is kind of this, uh, you know, Zedek, there's, so even 590, you're talking about like kind of the Zedekiah is, you know, the puppet um, king, you know, Babylon has already kind of started this process, right? Of, uh, of taking the people, exiling them, taking over the country. So uh, whereas Jeremiah is more, uh, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. Ezekiel's more, yeah, this is coming, but it's already kind of come, right? It's, it's, it's evident to everyone that it has happened and it's inevitable that the full uh, exile is coming. Um, okay, so he sees four elaborate creatures, sparkling wheels, a large expanse, and the glory of God on a throne. Ezekiel falls on his face and hears a voice that calls him son of man. Spirit of God enters Ezekiel, causing him to stand and hear. God tells him that he is sending him to the sons of Israel. God speaks of their rebelliousness but tells Ezekiel not to fear. Uh, God gives him a scroll to eat. (laughs) We know this is a a vision. Uh, Scroll to eat, telling him to eat it and speak to the house of Israel. God says that they will not listen, so Ezekiel must be tough and resilient. even say, be like Jeremiah, be tough and resilient. He's taken to observe some other exiles for seven days. Um, This is chapter three. Uh, These uh, exiles live in Tel Aviv, which is kind of um, Syria, like current day Syria. Uh, So he's taken to observe some other exiles for seven days. Then God tells him that he will be a watchman to the house of Israel. God says that he will hold Ezekiel responsible for the unrepentant who are not warned. Uh, so not, not all the unrepentant, but just those who are not warned is um, who Ezekiel is responsible for. Ezekiel's responsible to warn them. He's not responsible for their hearts, not responsible for their response, but he's responsible to warn them. Uh, Ezekiel will be persecuted. And God will even make him a mute 
at one point in order to separate the people from the revelation of God. Uh, this around uh, 327 says he will speak only when God puts the words in his mouth. Okay, so chapter 4, uh, Ezekiel predicts the coming siege of Jerusalem. So this would be 586, 586 BC, the coming siege of Jerusalem by performing a symbolic act. Again, here we have another one of these symbolic acts that these uh, prophets are asked to do. Um, uh, let's see, uh, performing a symbolic act. He lays on his left side for 390 days. Yeah, symbolizing the iniquity of Israel. I think I'd personally rather have the one Jeremiah did where he just lays the belt by the river. This is, this is a little hard, hard. He lays on his side for 390 days, uh, symbolizing the iniquity of Israel. Then for 40 days, symbolizing the iniquity of Judah and acts out the siege of Jerusalem. Um, the 430 years is the total of these two. So that has to mean something because 430 years is very important. 430 years is actually uh, the amount of time that Israel was in Egypt. See that in Exodus 12, 40. Uh, 430 years is also the time from Judges um, to the arrival of the ark in Jerusalem. See that in 1 Samuel 7, 2. And then um, 430 years is also the number of years that the temple stood from the time of Solomon to Zedekiah. So um, very interesting here with the, the 430 days. Okay, then he eats. Then he eats. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, second one, was, okay, so first one is 430 years was the time that Israel was in Egypt. That's, we see that in Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 1240. Then 430 years is also the time from the judges to the arrival of the ark in Jerusalem. See that listed in 1 Samuel 7-2. And then 430 years is, you know, I don't have a scripture reference for this, but this is just the timing that those scholars um, attribute here. It's the time that the first temple stood from Solomon to, um, to this destruction that we're about to see. So 430 days obviously has some symbolic significance here. Um, then he eats defiled bread to symbolize the famine that the people will undergo. It's also not a, not a fun <laughs> symbolic act to perform. Um, God also has, his, has him cut his hair and divide it up in three parts to represent three groups of the people of Jerusalem. They will be desolated in three different ways. Um, it actually says in uh, 5 verse 3 that he, he um, tucks a few of the hairs into his robe. So I would... I would take this to be speaking about the remnant, right? Every, the, they're going to be desolated in these different ways, but he sticks some in his robe. There is, there is a remnant that will um, be restored at some point. And as we've been talking about at different times when we studied Isaiah and Jeremiah, um, the remnant at times seems to be a physical remnant that returns from the exile, 
but at other times it seems to be a group in the distant future that lives in Zion. And then, it, of course, at other times there's kind of a merging of these two in the prophetic uh, literature. Okay, uh, let's see. Ezekiel then denounces idol worship and states that the mountains will be filled with the dead bodies of those who practice it. Because of the wickedness of the people, the end has come. It is described as a unique disaster and tumult. Uh, the people will be devastated. God says, quote, I will also turn my face from them. The, quote, holy places will be profaned and, quote, the king will mourn. Okay, Ezekiel 8 through 11. Yeah. In the, uh, at the top there, the voice calls him son of man. What is, that's Jesus, right? What, what is? Uh, well, uh, uh, the son of man from Daniel is a prophetic, is a messianic title. But here at this point, we're, it's just a simple, just you're human. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, we see that in um, Psalms too. There's some, there's some son of man that is not really messianic, but then there's other instances that are. So, uh, okay, Ezekiel eight through eleven. Ezekiel is taken to Jerusalem in a vision, and there he sees the glory of God. He also is shown idols at the entrance of and inside the temple. God shows him that the elders are speaking to idols because they do not think God is present. That is uh, the key to understanding this book. It's about the presence of God. Um, they do not think God is present. They think he has forsaken them. God brings executioners to deal with the people he marks out the remnant as a means of protecting them and tells Ezekiel that this punishment has come because, quote, of perversion. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. Uh, the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. The people have adopted polytheism as they believe God is held captive when the people are. So you can see the wrong theology here, right? They've, they're captives, so they think their God is as well. Um, God wants to show them that he sees all and is therefore present. It's their sin which keeps them from his positive fellowship, but he is there. So that's, that's a real key to this. Uh, the theology here is the, their sin does not affect his character, his omnipresence. It can affect their fellowship with him, but it, it does not affect the fact that he is there. He, is, he does not change. He still is omnipresent. Uh, then God fire, uh, brings fire against Jerusalem, and Ezekiel gets a vision of God's glory departing the temple. Uh, 1 Kings 8.10 is where the ark is actually brought into the temple, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
Um, so here we see the glory of God departing the temple. Um, it says that he left the temple through the east gate. This is um, uh, chapter 10, verses 18 through 19, and then 11, 22 through 25, talks about leaving through the east gate. This east gate is actually where the glory of the Lord will return in the last days. So that's next week. Ezekiel is going to talk about that. Ezekiel 43.4, glory of the Lord is going to return again through the east gate in a future temple. So, um, okay, Ezekiel is taken in his vision to the east gate of the temple where God shows him the men who advise evil to the city. God knows the sin of the people and will bring the sword on them. They have, quote, not walked in my statutes, nor have you executed my ordinances, but have acted according to the ordinances of the nations around you. God proceeds to reassure Ezekiel, promising that the remnant will be restored. Much like in Jeremiah 24, God says that the remnant will be made up of exiles. This remnant will inherit the land of Israel and will remove its idols. God says that he will, quote, give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. So Rich talked about Ezekiel today and this concept of the new covenant in Ezekiel where a new heart will be given. That'll, that'll be next week. We talk about that particular passage. Uh, but this is kind of a preview of that that Ezekiel's giving here. Uh, he's going to give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. That will happen with the remnant in the future. Uh, Ezekiel's vision ends, and he tells the remnants in Babylon what he has seen. Okay, so uh, let's actually read. Let's go back to this question of God's omnipresence. Could I get a volunteer to read um, Ezekiel 8? 9 through 12. Read those four verses out loud. Anybody? Yeah, Gerald. 9 through 12? Yes. Ezekiel 8, 9 through 12. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here. So I went in and looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and detestable animals and all the idols of the house of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of the house of Israel, and Jezaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness? each at the shrine of his own idol. They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Yeah, thank you. So um, again, that's, he's making the, the point here. Uh, it does not mean that I'm not here. I have not forsaken anyone. The fellowship is not positive because of your sin. That's the difference. Um, so I just wanted to, um, read real briefly. We're talking about God's omnipresence here. Um, uh, Grudem defines omnipresence. He says, just as God is unlimited or infinite with respect to time, so God is unlimited with respect to space. Uh, this character of God's nature is called God's 
omnipresence. And then he gives a more formal definition of omnipresence, and that, that is that God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being. Yet God acts differently in different places. So, um, uh, so we're not we're not talking about. Uh, sometimes I think we get into a little bit of uh, a misnomer here. Um, we're not talking about pantheism, where there's a God is everywhere in nature. Every you know that's more the Star Wars, the Force thing, right? Um, it's more that um, He's present in every aspect of life. Um, so it's not like he's in he's in the tree and i can feel the force right it's it's he's just he's there he's present he's present in every aspect of life he's 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 always there and any um fellowship that is broken uh between him and i is on me right it's my responsibility it's because of my sin um okay so that's a little bit about god's omnipresence i think again when we start talking about trying to apply this to our lives uh, because we're Old Testament covenant, a lot of these things are Old Testament covenant, we need to be careful, but I think uh, anytime we can look at a characteristic of God uh, and his character, which does not change, uh, we can try to apply it to our lives. So let's talk about that now. Um, significance here, God is omnipresent. We must not forget that he is around, especially when we need or help or when we, uh, when we need help or when we are tempted to sin because quote, no one will know. Um, so just open it up for discussion. Do you sometimes think that God is not present? Do you sometimes make him into a man-made God who is bound by space? Uh, how does it help to know that he is always there and available? And how does knowing of God's omnipresence affect your day-to-day -day behavior? Any thoughts here? I'm going to get more and more into uh, in the New Covenant the presence of God, as Rich talked about a little bit already here, the presence of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about that more as we continue on in Ezekiel, especially next week. Uh, but just basic concepts of omnipresence. Any thoughts there? sort of like you're in a room and there's lots of people in there, but when there's nobody in there, you think you can yeah. do stuff and nobody's watching. Yeah. Intellectually, I go, oh yeah. And I think the Holy Spirit sort of is supposed to kind of be reminding us all the yeah. time. Right. Like, I'm here. Yeah. And when you suppress that, that's when you, when you don't listen to that voice, that's when you, just like that Romans verse in 7, you do the thing you don't want to do. That's good. Anybody else? Dovetailing off of that, it's very easy for me just to get up and really go through my day and just, you know, have my to-do list and do my thing and just, I'm going to the store, I'm going to the appointment, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and just like what Gerald was saying, of just forgetting that, um, well, wait a minute, I'm not here to do my to-do list, it's mm. I'm here for him, like mm. every part of my being is supposed to be for him, and um, it's easy just to like um, go headstrong into my week with my agenda. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, 
on the flip side, you know, a lot of that's sort of that, oh, I'm sinning, but at the same time, probably I don't avail myself, it's just like, you know, I'm in a situation right here, I should ask, he's here, I should just ask, and I don't ask. You know, I just go, I just sort of forget that he could fix this right now. He could stop this from happening or something, and I don't do that either. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, very good. All right, let's uh, move on here. Ezekiel 12 through 14. Uh, In order to illustrate the exile and its effects on the people, Ezekiel carries luggage around and digs through a wall. Uh, So carrying the luggage around, that symbolizes uh, the exile. (laughs) That's a little bit simpler, a little bit simpler symbolic action. This represents the prince among the people who will try but fail to escape the punishment of God. Uh, Let's see. uh, The people think that Ezekiel's prophecies are, quote, for many years from now. Uh, This is uh, chapter 12 there, 21 through 23. Uh, So Ezekiel's going to be dealing with a few different incorrect assumptions or incorrect theologies. This is one of those. Um, God says that, quote, none of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever word I speak will be performed. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy against the false prophets of Israel. God says that he will bring his wrath against these prophets for deceiving the people. He also speaks against the women who practice magic. These deceivers are not the only ones at fault as the people listen to lies. Uh, The elders of Israel are condemned as they have set idols in their hearts, yet they still come to Ezekiel for advice. I think it there, 14.3 uh, is about where we are here. 14th verse 3, uh, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Um, those who are set, uh, those who set idols in their hearts yet still come to Ezekiel, will have to answer to God, who will cut them off from the remnant. This will be done so that, quote, you will know that I am the Lord. Uh, God tells Ezekiel that Jerusalem will not be spared and that he will send his four severe judgments against it. Quote, yet behold, survivors will be left in it who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Okay, Ezekiel 15 through 16. God tells Ezekiel that Israel is like a useless vine, one that is to be used for burning. 
Then God tells Ezekiel that these abominations of Israel are much like other abominations in Israel's past. He says that Israel was like an abandoned baby that God cared for. When older, God showed further grace by entering into a covenant with Israel. Uh, that's around 16.8. It's obviously the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, bringing up the imagery of a marriage. Then Israel played the harlot. The people made high places and made sacrifices to idols. God speaks directly to Israel saying, quote, you adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. He calls Samaria Israel's older sister and Sodom her younger sister. Yet, quote, you acted more corrupt in all your conduct than they. Ouch. That is quite a, quite a charge. Um, God says that he will restore quote, your own captivity in order that may, you may bear your humiliation and feel ashamed for all that you've done. And this is, of course, one of the main uh, purposes of the exile is punishment. You must feel, you must bear your humiliation, you must feel ashamed for what you've done. Uh, God says, quote, I will also do with you as you have done. You who have despised the oath by, quote, breaking the covenant. Again, the remnant becomes a bridge to the future. As God says, he, quote, will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Uh... This is 16, verse 60. Let's look at this. Uh, chapter 16, verse 60. God says, Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Um, yeah, so I, I think this is obviously uh, a, a message about the new covenant, which we've already seen from Jeremiah. Uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah also speak of a future covenant that cannot end and is led forever by a descendant of David. Um, there's, I think it's important to note, there's absolutely nothing in this text that indicates that the remnant has done anything to earn this. Um, this is in spite of everything that's happened, in spite of the sin of the people, I will save a remnant. So I think this is a great uh, passage uh, related to God's grace. Um, this account gives a good description of the grace of God after Israel is cared for by God. They disregard his covenant, but God through his grace brings them something they don't deserve, a new everlasting covenant. This one cannot be broken, the new one. Uh, we don't deserve this everlasting covenant either, yet God has provided a way through his grace. So again, character of God, grace of God, this is something we can apply to our own lives when we think about this. 
Do you ever think that you deserve the salvation God has provided? How does understanding God's grace prompt you to respond to him? Any thoughts here? Grace of God. Yeah. Think about feeling like you deserve it. Yeah. You know? And I didn't come to faith until I was in my 30s. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, it would have been great if I had come as a child, right? But I have a, a very real sense of just how sinful I was because it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. You know? And that part in particular, just for me, Boy, that's just not something I've ever struggled with. I know <laughs> how wretched <laughs> I was. But I just wonder sometimes, you know, if you're a child and that can become so far behind in your in your memory. I, I don't know. It's just it's not an experience I can relate to. But yeah, that, that one's never been a struggle for me, I have to yeah. say. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. Anybody else? I guess I'm on the flip side of that. Yeah. Anybody else? All right, let's uh, finish up here with uh, 19 through 20. I'm sorry, not 19 through 20, 17 through 18. Okay. um, God has Ezekiel speak a parable about two eagles. Uh, One represents Babylon and one Egypt. The eagles pluck a twig representing Israel off a tree. But much like the twig, Israel cannot survive by fearing Babylon and seeking help from Egypt. It is God who is in charge of the covenant, yet he will make himself and he will make himself known to the people. Yet he will plant the people back in the land and, quote, all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. God interacts with the people's attitude about sin, saying, quote, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? saying, quote, the father eats the the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. Um, So again, another one of kind of this incorrect thinking uh, or incorrect theology by the people that needs to be corrected here. This is Ezekiel 18, uh, one through four. So uh, he says, as I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. 
so you obviously got a situation here where, <laughs> um, which we all do this, right? We're caught and then we're caught in our sin and then we try to blame shift, right? So that's, they're using this proverb to speak to the idea that, well, this has happened because our fathers did this, right? They eat sour grapes, so our teeth are set on edge. God's saying, look, you're, you're responsible for your own behavior. You're responsible for your own sin. You're responsible for your own hearts before me. Uh, so several sins are listed that are those in Israel, that those in Israel will be held accountable for. And God says that, quote, the son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The law of Moses also alludes to personal accountability. Accountability is a blank there. Personal accountability for sin. Uh, God emphasizes that his ways are right and just. Each will be judged according to his own conduct. One sin and death cannot have an effect on others. Can I get somebody to read um, 18, 30 through 32? Any volunteers? I got it. Yeah. Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Awesome. Thank you. So um, significance here. Again, character of God speaking to us, our relationship with God. This is something certainly I think that applies to a new covenant reality, but everyone's sin is their own responsibility. Although scripture alludes to the contribution of external sources, uh, God holds the individual ultimately, ultimately responsible. Um, so for discussion, do you ever buy into the notion that your sin uh, is the fault of your parents or your surroundings? Are you constantly thinking you have to overcome these wounds in order to overcome sin? How does Ezekiel combat these notions? I'm not asking these questions flippantly. Please don't think that. I think scripture is, um, does indicate that there are external sources that contribute to the temptation to sin. Um, but at the same time, I think scripture is consistent that our sin is our own is from our own heart and our own responsibility. So I'm not asking these questions flippantly in any way, but um, it is a challenging thing that I think we have to think about here. So any, any thoughts here, um, the, the teaching here from Ezekiel? I think um, we see this so often in our society today. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at the aspect of not Christian counseling, but just going to counselors and sure. things like, you know, so many buy into that fact that, well, what, you know, <laughs> from this person has passed on this person. And it, it, it seems that it almost shifts the blame oftentimes to 
parents and other people and, and not to say that we are not wounded yeah. when um, sinned against but it doesn't mean that our response should be sin and kind right and oftentimes it's like well I did this because this was done to me or this is what I've seen or this is this was my experience and I mean we see how terrible sin in this world has been but yet we still we kind of still buy into that notion as okay well we're going to react in this way and it only just makes it worse because if we never stop to say you know what is this getting us you know just blaming everybody else and piling on mm -hmm. we, we don't take into account that what the word of God says is you know, love your enemy Mm -hmm. Pray for your enemies. Mm -hmm. You know, pray for those who sin against you. Yeah. And don't sin against them because of what they have done to you. I'm calling you to yeah. something yeah. higher. Yeah. I mean, if we're supposed to be coming like Christ, I know the hope most of the world does not believe that, but even for Christians, if we would just take that into account a little bit more and see that then the sphere, <laughs> those people around us should see something totally different. Totally different, yeah. Because those words from Christ in the Sermon on the Mount are just so different than the way the world thinks, right? Yeah. Pray for your enemies. All right, I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not exactly answering those questions, but um, we had a son that was very rebellious in his teenage years. Mm -hmm. And when I ran across this part of Ezekiel, it was very encouraging mm -hmm. because those around would say, you're the reason right. the child was doing that. Right. How can a child raised in a Christian family do that? Right. Happens all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, I always say that uh, we think about how a child ends, ends up uh, the order of, um, you know, the order of things that are um, most connected to that, you would have to say God's sovereignty is the most important thing. Second is the child's heart. And then third is the parenting. I mean, that's the other two things are, are far more important. So, yeah. No, good, good thought there. Anybody else? Okay, uh, let's finish up real quick here. Uh, just got a few minutes. Ezekiel 19 through 24. Uh, Ezekiel gives a lament for Israel and its princes. Its downfall has been painful. Fire has consumed it, quote, so that there is not in it a strong branch, a scepter to rule. So that's obviously some intertextuality with Genesis 49.10, which talked about the scepter that will come uh, in the line of kings that comes from the line of Judah. Um, yeah, so, it, so this is showing that in exile, the king, uh, during exile, the king from Judah will not be coming while they're in exile. Um, so that's, that's part of one of the effects of their sin and this exile, this destruction is that they do not have the scepter to rule. 
Uh, when the elders come to inquire of God, God tells Ezekiel to judge them. Ezekiel gives a summary of Israel's history, mentioning their exodus from Egypt and the law that God gave, along with the rebellion of the people. Uh, lament. Ezekiel gives a lament. Uh, so, uh, law of God that God gave, along with the rebellion of the people, uh, God says that He withdrew His hand from punishing Israel in the wilderness for the sake of His name. God says that He even gave them over to false prophets and their laws as a punishment. Uh, he again says that he will plant a remnant back in the land one day. He sees not only the return from exile for the people, but a future time of reign by the Davidic king. Uh, so next week we'll look, Ezekiel will we'll discuss this more, the reign of the Davidic king. It's kind of the last section of his book. Uh, this will all be done for my name's sake. Uh, then starting in chapter 21, God continues his assessment of the people by giving a parable about the sword of the Lord. Ezekiel says that the sword of Babylon will take down Jerusalem. God has even made it so that Babylon will choose to destroy Jerusalem. Because the people, quote, have made your iniquity to be remembered and that your transgressions are uncovered so that in all your deeds, your sins appear. God says that the king will be removed until the king, quote, whose right it is to claim the throne comes to claim it. So again, that's obvious intertextuality with Genesis 49.10. The one to whom it belongs, that's... That's who has the scepter. Uh, so it's a messianic reference there as well. Uh, God says that this punishment will come because the people have practiced idolatry and have been a people of bloodshed. God says that he will pour out his wrath as, quote, silver is melted in the furnace, calling out not just the people, but the priests, princes, and prophets as well. God gives another historical summary, this time saying that Jerusalem and Samaria are women who have been given over to their lovers. Their lovers, like Assyria, abuse them and destroy them. Ezekiel then gives the parable of the boiling pot referring to the punishment of the people and saying, quote, boil the flesh well and mix in the spices and let the bones be burned. God then has Ezekiel perform another symbolic action. Uh, God tells him that his wife, your desire of your eyes will die. Ezekiel, this, this is a tough one, obviously, a really tough symbolic action. 
uh, Ezekiel is to, quote, groan silently, uh, make no mourning. The quiet groaning is his symbolic action. And that's supposed to represent their, their quiet groaning while they're in exile. Um, and 2418 indicates that his wife apparently does die. Uh, the people will, quote, uh, sorry, not quote, the people will lose their desire. That's the blank there, lose their desire. Jerusalem, which is their desire. The people will lose their desire, Jerusalem, their city, and there will be no mourning over it. The siege of Jerusalem, which Ezekiel has foreseen, is imminent. Okay, so uh, next week we'll finish Ezekiel and we'll get into um, a lot more speech about, or um, a lot more prophecy about the coming new covenant and its connection to this idea of God's presence. So, see you then. Thanks. <laughs>